0: the following audio is from the springs church more information about the springs church is available at the springs.cc good morning springs church good morning welcome to you all this morning in the name of jesus christ i'm so glad you're here with us and if you are a visitor if you've not been here before or you're kind of checking things out, I, we just always want to make sure that we welcome you especially and make sure you know how grateful we are that you've chosen to be with us and to gather and worship with us. Um, we here at the Springs are a people being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. So we're glad you're with us this morning and I'm glad to be with you this morning um, Lara, in a couple days, will be 39 weeks, so yeah, yeah, exciting. Um, if anything happens, John and Kelly, maybe you guys could pinch hit, jump up, finish things up for me. If something happens during, I'm just worried at this point, so hopefully we'll make it through, but I am glad uh, to get to be here with you this morning. And I'm glad to continue our new sermon series, When You Pray, praying your way into God's world. Ben kicked things off last week with the first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this morning, we're moving on to the second line together, to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's begin this morning by praying the Lord's Prayer together in its entirety. continue praying. Lord Jesus, we give thanks for this prayer that you have taught us and this prayer that uh, we pray with you. And Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. We give thanks for this morning. We give thanks for each new morning where we experience your mercies anew. We praise you, dear Lord, and we ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance this morning, for your illumination, and God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in your powerful and saving name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. My anger rises in spite of all I can do. I'm quoting a diary entry from March of 1861. It's written by a 57-year-old widow named Keziah Brevard, and she lived in South Carolina, 1861, March of that year, she was putting on, kind of hosting a dinner at her place, and she had a bunch of guests there and had them there all day, and she was hosting a dinner that evening of like, beef, chicken pie, asparagus, a couple kinds of potatoes, rice, soup, ice cream for dessert, it sounds delicious. And if I can do anything to temper your lunch appetite now, it sounds like it actually wasn't delicious. Something was apparently wrong with the meal. There was some kind of strange taste throughout it. And the reason we know this at all is because she kept a diary. Um, This is where Keziah would go to uh, vent her emotions, to record events, and even to pray to God. And so on March of 1861, there's this entry on the evening of that dinner. She said, my anger rises in spite of all I can do. What is the use of so much property when I can't get one thing cooked fit to eat? I am mad when I think how mean my slaves serve me. Oh my God, help me to bear all of these crosses with more patience And oh God, fit me to leave them and take me to heaven. There is nothing on this earth worth staying one moment for if we can only get to a better home. Crosses after crosses is all I realize on earth. If you haven't picked up on it, Keziah was a slave owner. And this dinner was made by her slaves. And this diary entry happened in South Carolina, 1861, the year the American Civil War began. And there's a lot to take in in her prayer. It's really, really startling. But the thing I want to focus on for a second is the use that prayer is being put to here. Because Keziah seems to be using prayer to kind of regulate her emotions towards her slaves. And it's a really, really tragic fact that one of the most important tools that slavery in America used was Christianity. That as Lauren Winner has written... She said, in the American South, there was no slavery without Christianity, any more than there was slavery without tobacco and cotton. And Winner has studied these prayers of 19th century slave-owning women in their diaries, and one of the things she notices is not only are these women using the prayer to kind of regulate their emotions, but in a sense, they're using prayer to justify their participation in a slavery economy. Because one of the pro-slavery ideologies at that time or ideas put forth was actually slavery is good, it makes the slaves happy, it makes the slave owners happy, it's a good, good thing for everybody. And so it was important for slave owners to have good emotions towards their slaves, to feel like more patient people. And so prayer here is not just about regulating Keziah's emotions, it is about praying for the validation of the political economy of slavery. Prayer, in other words, was part of the choreography of justifying slave, enslaving black bodies. And this might seem like a strange way to start a sermon on prayer. You know, it doesn't really make us feel like going home to pray, perhaps. But I think there's a really important point for us to grasp here at the beginning of this series called When You Pray, and, and that point is that our prayers are often compromised. Prayer, as, as Lauren Winner puts it, is a damaged gift. Prayer is an absolute gift from God. It is our ability to communicate with Him, to, to come before Him, to petition God, to praise Him. But prayer, like everything in the world, is also touched by sin and death, touched by the fall. And so it is a gift that can be used for good or for ill. It is a gift that can be aimed at good intentions and purposes and ends or towards something atrocious like slavery. And in fact, prayer is as a damaged gift, can be both of those things at the same time. It might be true that prayer made Keziah a more patient human being. It might be true that it made her a more patient and kindly owner of other human beings, but at the same time, it seems to have put her at ease with being an owner of other human beings. Our prayers are compromised, And let me just quote Lauren Winter one more time. She says, Christianity became slavery's grammar. Slavery ventriloquized Christianity so fluently that many didn't see the impersonation going on. So she's saying that slavery made ventriloquist dummies of Christianity and its prayers which has to lead all of us, I think, to the question this morning, in what ways are our prayers being compromised? You know, what evils or injustices are making ventriloquist dummies of us and our prayers? In what ways are we praying our way into unjust worlds rather than praying our way into God's world? Well, this is where I think the Lord's Prayer is good news. There is good news about prayer this morning, I believe. And the Lord's Prayer, if I think, if anything, can go some way towards healing this damaged gift of prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray himself. And we're two lines into that prayer this morning. So remember last week, Ben prayed, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then this morning, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So before we go any further, I think we gotta pause for a second on an important word that's already come up twice in these first two verses. Our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we mean when we talk about heaven, when we pray the word heaven. Heaven, I think we can say, is God's space or God's dimension, God's holy habitation. Heaven is the place that God created, heaven and earth, of course, and so he transcends both heaven and earth. They can't contain him or box him in, but heaven is the place God has chosen to dwell. Heaven is the place where God's glory is completely visible. Right? Here on earth, God's omnipresence is, is often hidden. Right? God is everywhere, but God is hidden here on earth, and in heaven, God's glory is completely seen. And in fact, scripture often talks about heaven as God's throne. Heaven as God's throne, which I think is a really great metaphor because a throne, when you think about it, is separated from the subjects of the ruler sitting on that throne. But even in that separation, a throne is not just a chair. It is a way for that ruler to be intensely present to their subjects. So heaven as God's throne, just because God is in heaven doesn't mean he's far away or far off from us. God is, in fact, because he's in heaven, enthroned. He is intensely present to us here on earth. And so we hear about heaven a couple times in the first couple verses of the Lord's Prayer. And this, I think, is important In that one of the ways the Lord's Prayer heals our prayer is that in the Lord's Prayer Jesus teaches us prayers order. Jesus teaches us prayers order. Here's what I mean. I think many of the prayers that human beings pray begin often in distress and this is mostly anecdotal, but maybe you can kind of help me confirm or deny this, that a lot of the prayers, a lot of the people on the world pray most of the time begin with, God, help me out. God, I'm, I'm in trouble, uh, save me from this. Uh, if you help me out, if, if you do this X, then I'll never do Y again. God, deliver me. And that's important. That's in the Lord's Prayer right? Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. But notice the order. Jesus puts that at the end. Jesus knows that's, that's kind of our default human position, is to pray from this place of distress and need and longing for help. In fact, if you look at the order of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus puts all of our personal needs in the latter half. Daily bread, forgiveness, deliverance from evil. All of that comes later, but Jesus starts with our Father in heaven. Jesus starts with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think this order of prayer is important. Jesus starts with our Father perhaps because as one preacher has said, we can't really pray your will be done until we know that God is truly our Father. We can't really pray your will be done until we know that God is our loving Father. And fathers' decisions and priorities and ways are often inscrutable to their children, especially young children, right? There are many things that Jeremiah just has absolutely no idea why I'm doing them, what priorities I'm setting, why on earth I would possibly want to do that. But we can trust a Father who loves us. We can trust and pray your will be done when we know it is our Father in heaven. And then we get to your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Far and away, this is the dominant theme of Jesus' preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, or in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Often, this is what Jesus is hammering home all the time the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And and what Jesus is really saying is that God's reign would become fully and finally actualized on earth as it is in heaven. And this is really important that we have this in the beginning of the order, right? Because I think if we begin at the end, if we begin with our needs, our desires, our wants, and we pray that before we pray for God's kingdom, we have a tendency to conflate the two. I think if we start with ourselves and what we want and desire before we pray to our Holy Father for his kingdom and will, we have a tendency to confuse those two things. In fact, we see that in Keziah's praying. In 1861, she talks about these crosses after crosses are all I realize on earth, this prayer of a slave owner. And in fact, in one of her prayers, she asked for God to strike dead one of her slaves that she's supposedly having some problems with. And we see how the purposes and kingdom of Keziah's life have become completely twisted away from God's kingdom purposes of justice, righteousness, and peace. When we pray first for ourselves, we confuse the perpetuation of our kingdoms with the coming of God's kingdom. We pray not for God's kingdom come, but God's kingdom conform to me. And no one, of course, contrasts with Keziah better than Jesus himself. Not just in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, but in Matthew 26, Jesus is famously praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's about to be betrayed and arrested and tried and tortured and crucified. And it says again, he went away for the second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. The church confesses that Jesus not only has two natures, human and divine, 100% human, 100% divine, but the church also confesses and believes that Jesus has two wills, a human will with his human nature and a divine will will of his divine nature. And this human will is not in opposition to his divine will. In fact, as we see, this human will submits to the almighty divine will. And though Keziah was talking about crosses after crosses because her slaves didn't perfectly cook a seven-course meal, Jesus is literally staring down a cross And yet Jesus says, your will be done. But there's one other way that I want to look at this contrast here. Because I think another way that the Lord's Prayer teaches us and heals our compromised prayers is not just in the order, but in its direction, And so, Keziah, if you remember in her prayer, it was a lot to take in, but she said, I'm mad at my slaves, and God, help me bear these crosses, and oh God, fit me to leave them and take me to heaven. There's nothing on this earth worth staying one moment for if we can only get to a better home. And I think what we're hearing in her prayer is an idea that Christians have kind of flirted with for a long time called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was an ancient heresy that the church said, no, that's not true, we don't believe that. Um, But Gnosticism, you may have heard this word tossed around before, Um, it was a varied belief system, but essentially it meant that a lesser God had created this world, and this world is evil, material creation is bad, and we in us have a divine spark kind of trapped in these evil material bodies, and Jesus needs to set this divine spark free for us through secret knowledge. That's what gnosis, Gnosticism, it literally means knowledge. And so Gnosticism, again, it's kind of a diverse idea, but it thrived on this kind of dualism between bad creator, good redeemer, between bad material creation and good human spirit. And Christians rejected this. Uh, We rejected it for a lot of reasons, mostly because we believe that God has created a good heaven and earth. God is the creator of heaven and earth, creation is very good, and yes, creation has been subject to death and decay and sin and fallenness, but as as Ben Myers said, it is a sick world that needs healing, not an evil world that needs destruction. That is the difference between Christianity and Gnosticism. And yet, we've continued to flirt with this idea. I think throughout Christian history at times we've had this kind of on-again, off-again relationship with Gnosticism. So there have been times where we've sang about this world not being our home, we're just a passing through, and we gotta fly away, right? And we've flirted with this idea. You saw it again in Keziah's prayer, fit me to leave this world earth and go to heaven. And in so doing, we reverse the direction of the Lord's prayer. We completely reverse the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. Not, help me leave this terrible, wretched earth for heaven, but your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Jesus teaches us the direction of prayer. Jesus teaches us that we've been praying in the wrong direction. And that it's not, this world is not my home, I'll fly away, but it's this is my Father's world and build your kingdom here. So rather than praying our way into God's world, at times we've been praying out of it. But when we begin to pray in the right direction, when we begin to pray in the right order, we begin to see that prayer is something that takes us not out of the world, but further and deeper into it. We begin to see what God is doing on earth, that this is a sick world that needs healing, not an evil world that needs destruction. And so we pray for this kingdom to come, and the kingdom has come in Christ and is coming, but the kingdom is contested. God has landed that decisive, victorious blow, and the enemy is in retreat, but the enemy is trying to do as much damage as possible on the way to defeat. And so we pray to our Holy Father in heaven, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done and finally be actualized in fullness on earth as it is in heaven. We pray come, Lord Jesus, quickly that you would establish this consummate final reign of peace on earth As it is in heaven, we pray all of this in patience. We pray this with hope. We pray it by the spirit-powered perseverance that only God can provide. We pray these words, as in heaven, so on earth. We pray together. May our prideful self-regard give way to the eternal self-giving love of God. As in heaven, so on earth. Let's stand and pray together. May our turmoil and strife, wars and rumors of wars, be overcome by the triune God of infinite peace. As in heaven, so on May our hatred, racism, and fear of the other be defeated by the loving otherness of the Holy Trinity. May our trust in princes, senators, and presidents be liberated to trust Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May our chains of greed, idolatry, anger, and lust be decisively broken by the crucified and risen Messiah. May our divided churches and embattled peoples unite to praise God with one voice in the Holy Spirit. And we pray together, may your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Let's praise Him together, church.